mystery. It is entitled Samaria. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's happy. I'm happy to see you all again. It's been a while to come up here and see old friends. want to welcome those on the Internet as well. If you're listening regularly, you know what to expect here. If you happen to tune in for the first time today, this is a good place to come listen to church services. These people are wonderful people. They've got a great congregation. You hear they've got a lot of music. They've got good messengers. So if this is your first time to hit this website, come on back because you'll enjoy what they're going to give you. I'm a guest from Tyler, but we're a sister congregation. We, we love these people very much. I want to compliment the work of Lawrence Gregory in the past, compliment the work of Steve Andrews now, but also the leadership team because it's not just the pastors that make things happen, it's the leadership team as well. Of course, I have two reasons to come up this area. I wanted to see the Kerr kids, to be honest. I wanted to see the Kerr kids. So I called Steve up and said, hey, I can be in the area if you have a week when you want someone to speak. So he's a smart boy. He, he picked his own week. He didn't bump any of you. He decided he'd bump himself. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak. I'd love to share my time speaking. I love talking about the Word of God to my friends. They're giving a handout for those of you in the, in the hall here. Those of you who are on the internet, what you might want to do sometime is look up a, an atlas, and you may want to find the time, that the area of Judea at the time of the Old Testament time and at the time of Christ. If you, have, you know, might be in the back of your Bible right now, you might have a book handy close by. If you're listening to this later on a DVD, you can stop the DVD, and then you can also look at a map. The map can help. When I speak, I do two things generally. I like to point you to God. And I like to encourage you. That's always my purpose, to point you to God and to encourage you. Uh, I am also wanted to let you know, though, I'm big on Christian living. I like to give information, but my, my goal is, how does this help you today? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history, but in giving you the history, you'll notice I want to focus on Christian living. In one sense... Uh, this could be an example of how to study the Bible. Because I know the churches of God have great information. You've, we've been blessed with great truth. But sometimes we're not always the best at explaining it. You know, we can always improve how we explain it. So if I can help my brethren, my, my fellow brethren, to study their Bibles a little bit better and to explain things a little bit better, then I think I've done a service. You see on the handout in the hall here, this was actually two messages. I had two separate messages, two split sermons. And I knew I wasn't going to have two split sermons today, but I wanted to cover the material. So I'm going to go chintzy on the first part. Actually, the first one was Samaria in the Old Testament. And the second part will be is Samaria in the New Testament. And since I kind of lumped it together in my allotted time, I just call it Samaria. But... You can look at the Old Testament part about Samaria. You can look at that later. You can study your notes later. But simply take a concordance and look up everywhere in the Bible where it mentions the word Samaria. That way you'll get a history lesson. But in the history lesson, you'll get some Christian living principles. If you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. As you're turning to 1 Kings 16, verses 23 and 24... I want to mention what Samaria is. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, it says, 42 miles north of Jerusalem and 9 miles northwest of Nablus, a hill protrudes from the broad valley which cuts across the central highlands of Israel. There lies the ruins of ancient Samaria. In the audience here, what's 42 miles away? What city is 42 miles away from here? Where? Somewhere, in, if you go north, it'd be in Kansas. If you go east, you make it. You make it to Arkansas, or not quite. I'm trying to get you to think 42 miles away. Okay. 42 miles south, would that make it down to McAllister? Okay. So you're getting the drift. 42 miles, either any direction, right? Locally. That's how far Samaria was from Jerusalem. That area was a smaller area than the, the big United States of America or the big land of China or the big land of the United, United Soviet Union. 42 miles away was Samaria. 
And Samaria was on a hill. Notice 1 Kings uh, 16, verses 23 and 24. This is the first time it's mentioned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah. And he bought the hill of Samaria from Shammah for two talents of silver. And he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria. So it was a hilltop. You notice in this part of the land there's rolling hills. It was a hilltop. It was high land. People like that high land. You don't have to worry about flooding. If you're going to be in battle and defend yourself, you want to protect it. As the young people know who like Star Wars, in the very end of episode number three, when the, the young guy says he wants to jump, and the older guy says, I've got the high ground. I've got the high ground. Remember that? Those of you who, watch, those of you who don't watch Star Wars, don't worry about it. But the top of the hill was the high ground to protect yourself. So it was a, Samaria became, became as a hilltop. And here it was bought. Now, later on in verses 25 through 26, Omri did evil, he died, and Ahab became king. Look at verse 32. I want you to know this is about Samaria. Verse 32. Then Ahab set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So when you hear about Samaria in the Old Testament, it was a hill that became a city, but it came much more than that. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'd like to turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. As I'm turning to Ezekiel 16, let me just mention this. Samaria started as a hill, became that city, and then it became noted for the tribes of Israel. Now let me mention this about the churches of God. By the way, for those on the internet, as a child I learned a lot from the Church of Christ. As a child I learned a lot from the Lutheran Church. But I've been in the Church of God for many, many years, most of my life. And so I've learned from other denominations, and I appreciate what I've learned. There are things I've learned in the Church of God I did not learn anywhere else, and I appreciate that. One thing that these folks here probably, I can't, we don't believe in group think. So thereby, I can't speak for what everyone believes. But I can speak for what most of these folks believe. When it comes to understanding prophecy, these folks here know the difference between Israel and Judah. Now, if you look at the evangelical approach of prophecy, I happen to not agree with the general evangelical approach of prophecy. Let me explain why. Again, if you have questions, you can always write into this congregation here. They believe that there's going to be a rapture. And they believe then that during the tribulation, the Jews are going to be saved. Now the reason why most, many, most of religion believes that is because you can look at scriptures that say Israel is going to be saved. But one thing we as Bible students believe, and we're not the only ones, we as Bible students believe Israel refers to the northern ten tribes. And the tribes of Israel split. There were the northern ten tribes. There were the bottom two tribes. And in the bottom two tribes was Judah. And Judah was the prophesied where Christ would come. So when people look at a map, they see the little land of Israel. And then they look in the Bible and they see the word Israel. And people make the assumption that the Israel in the Bible is the Israel on that map. But many Bible students, including us here in this part of the Church of God... We believe that little Israel on the map is really descendants of Judah, which was the bottom two tribes, one of the bottom two tribes, as opposed to the top ten tribes. But I can understand why people get some wrong, wrong information or wrong conclusions if they make the assumption that the Israel of the Bible is the Israel on the map. But if they understand that the Israel of the Bible is the top ten tribes, and Judah is, part of the, is the Israel today in the Middle East, then people can look at prophecy a little bit differently. They say, why am I bringing this up? Because I want you to be aware of the fact when people talk about Israel, the top ten tribes, it also became known as Samaria. So when you look in the Old Testament and you, look, you look, take a concordance and look up all the places that says Samaria, most of it's prophecy. And most of it's about the nation of Israel, the top ten tribes. So again, I'm, 
most of this audience knows that that's what they've come to believe through the years. But I want you to be aware. Now, over in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 46, and I'm not going to turn to hardly any. I'm going to focus most of my sermon on the New Testament. But at least wanted to mention chapter 16, verse 46. It says, Your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. So again, we have Samaria, and we have Judah. And they both are referred in prophecy. They're, they're like sisters. If you check out Ezekiel 23 at some point, you'll see that they're called sisters. Samaria is a sister of Judah. The ten is the sister of the two. They're sisters. And Samaria is the older sister of the two. Now I want you to look at verse 51 of Ezekiel 16. I want you to look at this. Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they, and have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. At this point, who was the bad girl? Judah was the bad girl. Was Judah always the bad girl? No, of course not. Think about you all have kids. And none of us have perfect kids. So when you look at your kids, there are times when one child is messing up, making mistakes, of which they learn from and move forward. And other times another child makes mistakes and moves forward. So certain points in prophecy, sometimes Samaria was the bad girl, and sometimes Judah was the bad girl. And since they both went into captivity at different times, Obviously, when they went into captivity, that's when they were doing worse things. By the way, think about the New Testament. I would hate to be the church of Corinth. Because the church of Corinth in the Bible, well, first, let me go back. I would hate to be King David, where all my sins, or all David's sins are put out before everybody. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible? I mean, wouldn't it be, don't you want to know all of Lucille's sins? But she got, she got lucky. Hers are not listed in the Bible. I can pick on any, any one of you. Ken's sins. Wouldn't it be great to see all of Ken's sins? Well, the poor thing about Corinth, Corinth had good days and bad days, good decades and bad decades, and guess what we find in the Bible? Corinth's mistakes. Corinth made a lot of mistakes at the time that Bible was written, but we learn from those examples because Corinth had those mistakes. But if you think, well, Corinth was always a bad girl. No, that's not true at all. Corinth, at the time it was written, was a bad girl. Just like this congregation. There are times this congregation has good marks, where things are going well. But every congregation has bad moments. Every congregation has times when people fight. There are times when people get grumpy toward each other. That happens. Life goes up and down. You don't, want to you don't want this congregation remember remembered for your bad moment. You would like to be remembered for all your good, and we want to have as many good moments as possible. Well, that's the way it was in the congregation of Corinth, and that's the way it was with Samaria and Judah. At some points, they were doing better than other points. So when you go back to the Old Testament, and you study, when you look up Samaria, you're going to find a lot of prophecy. And you go back and look at those prophecies, and then at that point, you can learn lessons from that. But that's all I'm going to take the time for with that long, all the information. There is a map, by the way, on the back of my handout I gave you that shows you the time of, of where Samaria is. But now we're going to go to the New Testament time. And we also have a map for the New Testament time. And what you're going to see, remember, it's the same 42 miles. What you can find on the map, you see Judea to the bottom. You see Galilee to the top, and in between Galilee and, and Judea is the area of Samaria, is the area of Samaria. So you can look again, when you're reading the examples of the Bible, you can see, you can see what's happening there. Now when we look at some of the scriptures, I'm going to quickly look at Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Just some history about the birth of Christ. Joseph went up from, by the way, most of the time when you read a map, 
Most of the time when you read a map, which way's up? North. That's not the, what they're talking about here. When it says they go north, it's because Jerusalem was a little bit higher in elevation. And so when they say going up, it's not talking about going north. It's talking about going to Jerusalem. So Joseph, when he went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, he went into Judea to the city of David. And actually he went to Bethlehem, which is just a little bit away from Jerusalem. But again, if you want to look at that map, you can see again where you can see the north. You can see up where Galilee is. You can see up there where Nazareth is. And he had to go 42 miles down toward Jerusalem. And near Jerusalem, a little southwest of Jerusalem, is the city of Bethlehem. So that way you can actually get the history, you get the flavor of what they had. To, and of course, they didn't take an Amtrak. They didn't take a car. They didn't fly. They probably had donkeys and, and carts and wagons. I think it's real interesting about the time Jesus was in the temple. Remember they were in the temple keeping the Passover a little bit later when he was 12 years old? And I don't know how far they were getting home, but finally realized he wasn't there. He was missing. Now that should make some of us feel good. If you've ever lost your kid in a, on a trip somewhere, that should make you feel good. But they're probably saying, where's, where's Jesus anyway? And they start calling back to the wagons. Is he in your wagon? Is he in your cart? No, I thought he was in your cart. Oh, no, we left him at the temple. You remember they turned around to go back and get him, and he was teaching at the temple. But anyway, they made that long trip in carts and animals, all 42 miles down from Galilee to the north down to Jerusalem and Bethlehem to the south. Now, when Jesus went in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, remember when he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? Remember that? Well, then, if you look at the map, that would be over to the east. The wilderness would be over to the east. Because, of course, to the west is the Mediterranean Sea. So he went over to the east to be tempted of the devil. He was out of civilization. He was around not a lot of people. He was out by himself over to the east. Okay, now... I want to read to you this from the Holman Bible Dictionary. Please take note of this. In the days of Christ, the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans was greatly strained. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, they fought. When they split, they separated. Not all splits are from God, but that split in the Old Testament was from God. Because if you remember, they said, Judah said, let's take our armies and let's bring us all back together again. And God said, no, this split is from me. Now, I, I don't think all splits are from God. Some splits are from carnality. But even when God allows a split to occur, good can come from it. Even like how this congregation started, or our, our, our congregation started, when we broke away from a different group, you broke away from a group, we broke away from a group, we formed. Whether or not it was directly from God, you know, God has been with us. As I said earlier, God has been with this congregation, and it's been a good thing. You've made the best of it and want to continue making the best of it. But that split was from God. So they were fighting. They were mad at each other all through history. And that continued on to the New Testament. In the days of Christ, the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans was greatly strained. The animosity was so great that the Jews bypassed Samaria as they traveled between Galilee and Judea. They went an extra distance through the barren land of Perea on the eastern side of the Jordan to avoid going through Samaria. Understand, again, you look at the map. If they were going south from Galilee, they would not go straight through the land of Samaria. They would cut over toward the Jordan River. They would go a little bit farther because there was so much animosity, they wouldn't go in each other's neighborhood. So they would go a little bit to the east, cut to the south, and cut back to the west to go to Jerusalem. That's how they traveled. It's good to know that. It's good to be aware of that. You know, there's certain, you understand today, there are certain, there are certain tensions today of places you don't go. You don't like to go to North Korea. North Korea doesn't like coming over here. Well, actually, they probably feel pretty good coming over here. 
but we don't go to, people don't easily go to Iran. Some pe people don't go to certain African countries where there's ongoing genocide of all types of people. Some people don't like to go to Colombia because of the challenges there. So just like we have in our world today, people avoid certain places for different reasons. They did not want to travel in each other's land. I want you to remember that. Now I'm going to spend the rest of the sermon in the New Testament talking about some of the most famous stories in the New Testament. The stories I'm going to talk to you about are some of the most famous stories in the New Testament. And what you're going to find out is Samaria is right in the middle of all of them. Now you're going to look at it. I don't know if you'll remember the stories. You may not learn something. But you may notice how Samaria is right there. Maybe this background, and as you study the background more, maybe it will help you understand what happened. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. I told you these are some of the most famous stories in the Bible. Some of the most famous stories in the New Testament. By the way, if you, if you look at the concordance, there are a lot of verses about Samaria in the Old Testament. There aren't a lot of verses in the New Testament about Samaria. But every one of these is a famous story. Let's look at it. Let's, let's look at it maybe with fresh eyes. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 51. It came to pass when the time had come for him, Christ, to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's up in the north, wanting to go to the south, and he wants to get there in a hurry. And I'm assuming his disciples are saying, well, do you want us to cut five miles to the east, go around Samaria, then cut back? Do you want us to take the route that everyone takes? And he would say, no, I've set my face to get there. I want to get there in a hurry. I don't want to take the extra miles. I don't want to take the extra time. I want to get there. So he sent messengers before his face, and they went into Samaria. This Jewish people going ahead of Christ, who was a Jewish man, went into Samaria to prepare him. He's coming in. We want to find a place for him. What do you have available? But they said, verse 53, we don't want him. We don't want your kind of people. We don't want your kind. Stay out. But he was wanting to get there in a hurry, so he did not want to go around. He did not want to go to the outside. He wanted to go straight there. So his disciples, James and John, saw this. They went back to Christ. Remember they're called the sons of thunder? They're mad. They're mad at those stinking Samaritans who wouldn't allow the Messiah to go through their land. They're hacked off. They're ticked off. And they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire from heaven to consume them just like Elijah? Like the days of Elijah? They will not accept you. They don't want you to come. They don't have a place for you. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? I point this out, Christian living now. How many times do you act like James and John? where you want to call down fire from heaven, even when you have a legitimate reason to be ticked off. Even when you see someone willing to reject the Messiah, to reject truth, reject the Bible, to reject God. You know, it's okay to be irritated by what we see. But are we going to learn the lesson about this Samaritan relationship? How do we view mankind? How do we view society? How do we view the sins of society? You know, I will just say this, for whatever it's worth. I'm not a fan of same-sex marriage, and I'm not a fan of abortion. But my view toward it is tempered somewhat when I know people who have done both of those things. It doesn't make me accept them as a good thing. I certainly won't teach them as a good thing. But when I know people who've been involved in those things, it has mellowed me out a little bit. You say, why is that? Because some of these people that I know are really nice people. They're really sweet people.
And while I wish they weren't doing it, instead of just getting on the, calling down fire from heaven against people, it does, makes it more like Christ, where Christ was against sin, but he loved sinners. And so I want to caution you, while you hate sin, and while you don't want to practice sin, and while you don't want to teach sin to your children and your family, please have a heart of compassion toward people. And if you know, if you know people you love that make those decisions, it will soften you up enough. Not that, not that you're going to compromise with it personally. Not that you're going to compromise it with what you support. But it will cause you not to be like James and John calling down fire from heaven. It will be more like, oh, I see these people doing this and I love these people. And you know, it will just temper you a little bit as the story here helps us do. Because Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. But isn't it great that we're called, isn't it great that we're mad at sin? Isn't it great that we're calling out sinners? Jesus said, you know what? You could be calling out sinners in a way that's an evil spirit. You can be calling out, you can be calling out sinners in a foolish way, in a carnal way, in an angry way, in a bitter way, as opposed to in a righteous way. So I, caution, I ask you to be careful about that, that you don't get involved in that type of attitude where Jesus would have to say to me or to you, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save. And if you, if you want to help save people, if you want to help people grow, you don't just bury them. You just don't attack them. You just don't club them over the head. If you're really trying to help them, you're going to have to find a compassionate way to deal with them. We learned that lesson from this very famous story. Let's look at James chapter, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Another famous story you know very well. Luke 17, verse 11. <clears throat> now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the middle of Samaria and Galilee. There Jesus was again, not avoiding Samaria. He went straight, straight into Samaria. He entered a certain village and met them ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. By the way, the reason why he had to show himself to the priest, he was still living under his old covenant rules. Even though he was coming to bring in the new covenant, he had not yet died. He had not yet been resurrected. So that's why he was circumcised on the eighth day. That, that's why he went to J Jerusalem for the Passover, for the sanctuary Passover. He went, they went to Jerusalem because, again, the Passover was done. The first Passover was done in homes. But this, after that, the Passover was done in the temple. <clears throat> A lot of people don't realize that. They, they sometimes don't understand how... The, the Old Testament Passover was done. So anyway, he, he was living under that system. And under that system, if you were going to be healed of leprosy, you had to go to the priest. And part of the reason to go to the priest was the priest would verify if you were truly done with your leprosy. And so that's why, he, because he was still, he was going to usher in the new covenant. He had not yet died or been resurrected. So he said, go show yourself to the priest. Let's do it the way the Old Testament says how to do it. And they went and they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face at his feet and gave thanks. Look at the last phrase of verse 16. And he was a rotten Samaritan. I put the word rotten there. He was a rotten Samaritan. The Jewish guys, they didn't say thank you. I don't know why they didn't say thank you. This, this, this example is showing the great example of the Samaritan. Sometimes, we know in the Bible, sometimes people think the church of God people always do the right thing. And the non-church of God people do the wrong thing. Hello, that's not true at all. How many times we find out some of our brethren do bad things? And some of my neighbors do great things. In fact, I love some of my neighbors. To some of my neighbors, a human problem. Here's a problem we all have. If you're thinking about something you want to change this Passover season, Days of Unleavened Bread, you know the biggest problem I'm in the Church of God. Might be surprised. The tongue. 
The tongue is the biggest problem. I'm going to break off. People, they have litmus test. The litmus test for church of God is the Sabbath. The litmus test for the church of God is the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is the most important commandment. Well, you know, it was the test commandment in Exodus 16 and 17. It's not always the test commandment. Because guess which commandment is the test commandment? All of them. There's not just one that's the test commandment. What do you think David's test commandments were? How about not killing and not committing adultery? Most of you have the Sabbath down pat. Most of you do really well on keeping the Sabbath. It's really not even a test commandment for you anymore. You do it so well, it's not a test commandment. But some in this room have a problem with pornography. Some in this room have a problem with whatever. That's your test commandment. So people think, oh, the Sabbath is... No, the Sabbath, it's the fourth commandment. It's really important. But it's not, it's not always the test commandment. It was at the, in the book of Exodus. But other things... So I'm telling you, the, a test thing is probably the worst thing we all do is the tongue. I have Baptist neighbors who never gossip. And I have Church of God friends who gossip all the time. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And the thing is, we want to do what's right. We want to grow in the areas of doing what's right. So this Samaritan did it right. He was, he was a thankful person. So I've got Baptist people, who are, I've got Baptist friends who are thankful. I've got Lutheran friends who are thankful. I've got Catholic friends who are thankful. And sometimes we have Church of God friends who aren't thankful. In this case, that was the case. The Jewish people weren't. In fact, that's why he said at one point, he said the children of, of promise, are, some of them are going to be surprised. Because even the centurion, what did he say about the centurion? I have not seen any faith like this in all of Israel. What did he, what did he say about the woman of Samaria? Her, her, here were all these Jewish people, the people of choice, and they were messing up. And this Samaritan woman, first of all, she was a woman. And in that society, that, they, they didn't give women equal rights back in that society. So she was a woman. And second of all, she's Samaritan. She was probably a black lady. So here she was a black lady. And he said, look at the faith of that lady. And the Jewish people might say, what about me? He said, you know, I didn't mention you. The point is, right is right and wrong is wrong. And when people do right, you should recognize it for right. And just because a person may have the right title or the right label, doesn't mean everything that person does is right. The Samaritan was thankful, and the others should have been like it. Let's go to John chapter 4. Yeah, you say, yeah, I've heard these stories. These are famous stories. You're right. These are famous stories, all involving Samaritans. Look at John chapter 4, beginning verse 3. Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which was called Sychar, with a plot of gallant where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, verse 8, his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Verse 9, this woman of Samaria said, How is it that you, being a Jewish man, ask me to get you a drink because I'm a Samaritan woman? Jesus, Jesus this lady had two strikes against her. She was a woman, and she was a Samaritan. And Jesus had the audacity to talk to her. She's like, why are you talking to me? Because in verse 9, you Jews have no dealings with us. You don't talk to us. You don't do business with us. You don't compliment us. You don't help us. We're adversaries. Why are you talking to me? And again, back then, the, the women were not given a lot of respect. And quite frankly, this is something I'll take up with God. 
some of the Old Testament teachings didn't give ladies much respect either. In fact, when Jesus started talking about women's rights, uh, some of the things he said about women in the Bible are actually progressive. They are actually quite advanced. And that's what shocked some of them. You know, I, you know, I don't like some of the parts of the Old Testament that talk about slavery. I don't like that. I don't like some parts of the Old Testament that, that kind of put women down. I don't like that. But I know God allowed it to happen, and God, and God had a purpose for it. But that doesn't mean I like it. I like, the, I like where we are today. I like where there's no slavery today. Or not, there's still slavery in the world, but it's a lot less. I like the fact that women's rights, women have more rights and are, have a chance to use their rights. Although I will caution women everywhere, uh, and hear me all the way through, some of you women are proving you can be just as stupid and dumb as men. As women are getting more rights in the world, as women are getting more rights, women are acting just as bad as men have acted for decades. In other words, equality means women can have, be just as smart as men or women can be just as stupid as men. Women can be just as righteous as men or women can be just as much sinners as men. And that's just, in other words, we see that. Just, of course, as men and women, we don't want to go into those behaviors. We want to do the right behaviors. We want to do the correct behaviors. But anyway, here she was. And he, why did he ask her for it? Because he didn't have a bucket. She had a bucket. So he came up, so, you know, he didn't have a bucket. He didn't have a cup. So he said, can you, can you drop your bucket in the ground and can you get me some water? And she's like, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, then they go into this long discussion. And uh, he said in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says, give me a drink, you would have asked him if he would give you living water. Basically what he's saying is, I'm asking you for physical water. If you knew who I am and what I'm about to do and what I can give to you, you would be asking for living water from me. Verse 11, she says, you don't even have a bucket. What do you mean? You, how can you give me any water? You don't even have a bucket. How, how are you going to get me some water? And, uh, and she goes, verse 12, Are you greater than the, my, our father Jacob, who drank of this well? Are you greater than him? Verse 13, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water will thirst, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I can provide you, you'll never be thirsty again. And the woman said, verse 15, I'll take some of that water. I'll take, I'll take some of that water. Verse 16, Jesus said, go tell your husband. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, verse 17, 18, you're right, you've, you've said the truth because you've had five husbands. And the one you're presently living with is not your husband. You're living with a man and it's not your husband and you've had five before, you've told the truth. Verse 19, she says, you are a prophet, man. How do you know how many husbands I've had? How do you know I'm living with a guy? How do you know that? Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now that's true. You understand that when you look at the map, when you look at Samaria on that map, You'll see the mountain there where the Samaritans worship, where they honored their God, where they sacrificed to their God, where they had their feast to their God. And where did the Jewish people have their feast? In Jerusalem, which was correct. That's where they went for the Passover. That's where they went for the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, then Jesus said, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you... You won't go to your mountain to worship, and you won't go to Jerusalem to worship, which is nice. With the upcoming Passover, guess what? You're not going to Jerusalem, are you? For the Feast of Tabernacles, you're not going to Jerusalem. You go to Wagner. You don't have to go to Jerusalem, or you go to Branson. We have four feast sites. You get a bunch of feast sites. We don't have to go to Jerusalem any longer. And the Samaritans didn't have to go to their mountain, and the Jewish converts did not have to go to Jerusalem. 
He did say to them, verse 22, you worship what you don't know. What we, what we worship is the salvations of the Jews. Let me, if you look later on to the book of Acts and the book of Romans, it says salvation went to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And I would ask you to keep that in mind. Why did, why did salvation start with the Jews? Because Jesus was a Jewish man. The seed was promised through Judah. Because the seed was promised through Judah, that's why it started with the Jews first. If God started through a different nationality, that's where it would have started. Now, some people read this and say they want to imitate all the ways of the Jews. Well, first of all, again, I want to mention to the audience listening in, this is a New Testament church. This is a New Testament congregation. But they value the Old Testament. They look to the Old Testament for things that were said, laws that were given, principles that were given, stories that were given. And then we look at the book of Hebrews and others to see how it was magnified in the New Testament time. So again, this congregation, this congregation is not Jewish in the fact they accept Christ the Savior. And the Jewish people, while I love them and I really appreciate them, their form of religion does not accept Christ as Savior. So please do not make the mistake when you see this congregation keeping the seventh-day Sabbath or keeping some of the feast days, please do not assume they're Jewish. They understand that those things were given to the Jews first. They're not trying to be Jewish. They're trying to follow the New Testament and the parts of the Bible that's of the Old Testament that lead to the New Testament. But they can explain that if you have any questions. You can talk, contact them. They can explain that to you. The hour is coming, verse 23, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth. So again, the story of dealing with the Samaritan woman. Let's finish up in Luke chapter 10. By the way, when you read John 8 at some point, when you read John 8 at some point, Jesus was called names. And a they, they, couple times in John 8, you'll look later and it says, they said he had demons. Of course, that's a bad thing. You have demons, they said to him. And you know what else they called him? You're a Samaritan. Let me put it in words to you today. There's some words today we don't say as people. In racial terms, we don't use the N-word, okay? You shouldn't use that word. Calling someone Samaritan was the same kind of thing. You are a Samaritan. I want you to understand, because you know how you look at society, you know how some words you, you don't want to say, because some words bring wrong reactions, bring fighting, bring anger. Calling someone Samaritan at that time was the same thing. So in John 8, when they were calling him names, they said, you've got demons, and you're a Samaritan. You know, he said, well, they started by saying, we know who our father is. Basically, what they were saying is, you don't know who your father is because you're illegitimate. You know how he answered that? He said, your father's the devil. Which shows, by the way, when someone says something to you, you can't answer back. Because Christ answered back. But he answered back perfectly. And you and I have to be careful because we have a tendency to answer back incorrectly. We have, a, we have, a, we have, a, we have an opportunity to answer back, tendency to answer back rudely, angrily, or whatever. And I don't believe he ever answered back wrongly. But he didn't answer back. They said to him, you're a bastard child, which is the phrase people use. You're a bastard child. He goes, your dad's the devil. That's how he answered back. What did it do? It made them mad. They wanted to come unglued. They got so mad they said, you're a Samaritan. He just he looked at them and thought, well, say what you want. Sticks and stones will break your bone. But words will never hurt you. But he didn't care about that. Now Luke 10. One of the again, I'm talking famous stories. Look at this. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. You know this. What's the name of the parable? The parable of the good Samaritan. So let's look at it. There was a certain lawyer stood up and said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And said, Christ said, What's written in the law? How do you read the law? What, what's your summation of the law? 
and the teacher said, excuse me, the yeah, teacher said, or the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you're right. You quoted that correctly. You gave the right answer. Do this and you'll live. But the lawyer said to justify himself. He wanted, he tried to look, looking for loopholes. He didn't want to follow. He was looking for loopholes. He said, who is my neighbor? And so now we have this, this parable that talks about who the neighbor is. You know the story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came by down the road. The priests were the elites. They were the clergy class system. They were better than everybody else in everyone's mind. Not in God's mind. The priests in the Old Testament had certain jobs to do, but one of their jobs was not to feel superior over others. In fact, Jesus made it very plain, if you have a position of leadership, if you have a gift of leadership, it's to serve. But a lot of priests are like, yeah, I'm a priest, you better, you better treat me right. I'm a priest, you better, you better look up to me. I'm a priest, you better give me special attention. That's how they looked at it. That's not how Jesus taught it. Well, the priest walked down the road, and he went to the other side. Have you ever noticed sometimes when someone has panhandling, they, they want you to give them money, they have a sign that will work, or my kids need food. What do, you, what do you oftentimes do? You don't make eye contact with them, right? Just like in class. When the teacher's asking you a question, a lot of times, what do you do? You don't make eye contact with the teacher. Because you're hoping she won't call on you. Especially if you, don't, you know, if you know the answer, you'll look the teacher right in the eye. If you don't know the answer, you kind of look away. That's what you do when you're uncomfortable, you look away. Well, the priest did not want to be close to this beaten up guy. So he went to the other side of the road, almost like he didn't exist. Do, 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 don't even see him. Do, 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 do. What's, I don't see anything over there. Nothing's happening over there. I'm a busy man. I've got to do business in the temple. I've got to do business for the Lord. I've got to do Greek, you know, even like on the Sabbath day. People on the Sabbath day would be like, do, do, I won't help you today. Do, 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 do. It's the Sabbath day. Do, 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 do. I remember one time, years ago, I was in Lexington, Kentucky. I only did this one time. But it was, it was a blizzard. So what I did on the blizzard, you may not, if don't do this if you don't think you want to do this. I only did it once, but I got my, I got my snow shovel and I went, in the, went driving through the town of Lexington, people stuck in ditches, I shoveled them out. I worked that day, to be honest, I worked. But why did I do it? Because those poor people were stuck. And they're cold, and their kids are cold. And um, I'm sure the, the priest would say, no, no, I'm not doing that. It's the Sabbath day. Nope, I'm not doing it. Well, again, you water your, you water your animals on the Sabbath day. Jesus taught that the Sabbath is still the thing to do. But I think he did teach us that we all need to analyze what we do on the Sabbath day. We don't want to look for excuses to sin. We don't want to look for excuses for entertainment. But certainly if you look for excuses to serve, I think the Lord's going to be happy with you. But anyway, the priest didn't want to, and it didn't want to see the guy. Do, 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 do. But then there was a Levite. He had, he had religious functions to do. He had religious things to do. But he came, looked, and he passed on the other side. Oh, no, I don't want, if I see him there, I get close to him, I might ask what happened. Or if I get close to him, I might have to ask, do you need a hand? No, no, I'll go on the other side of the road, do, 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 just walking away. But then a certain Samaritan came, that dirty scum of the earth Samaritan. That dirty old, oh, we don't even like Samaritans. They're the wrong people. They're of the wrong race. They're of the wrong background. They're of the wrong country. We don't like those people. Well, the Samaritan came, and we saw him. He had compassion on him. Apparently, the priest and Levi didn't have compassion, but the Samaritan did. And he went, and he bandaged him up. He poured oil and wine on his wounds, put him on his own animal, took him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day when he left, he gave out some money, gave it to the innkeeper and said, this is paying for him 
And if he has to stay a few extra days, when I come back through, I'll make it right. I will pay for him. On my tab, I'll take care of him. So which of those three was the neighbor? That's the parable. The lawyer answered, he who showed mercy on him. Now think of that as a teachable moment. On whom do you show mercy? If you show mercy, you're like that despicable Samaritan who did the right thing. If you don't show mercy, you're like the people of God who do the wrong thing. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Brethren and friends, it's been a pleasure to come see you again. I appreciate your hospitality. I appreciate your music. I appreciate your friendship. I want you to encourage you to study your Bible with maps. Study your Bible with concordances. When you look in the Old Testament about Samaria, you'll learn a little bit about the history. You'll learn about the origin of how some of these things happen. The origin of Samaria and Judah fighting. And from that, then you go to the New Testament and see what it says there. And what we found today is some of the most famous stories in the New Testament had to do with the Samaritans. So allow your study of history, allow your study of the Bible to help you in your Christian living. I hope you'll study further the subject of Samaria.